the Adam Crowley Show. Enough! I'm putting these back in my pants. They're mine. This is crazy. The Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Listener just tweeted in. Be careful. Tom just cut in on a commercial break. What the hell's he talking about, man? Avenue to the Fort Pitt Bridge, outbound Forbes Avenue to Edgewood. I was going to say, what did you have uh, all those books to wipe your ass with? Oh, no, Tom. Oh, my God. Tom. People are listening in for traffic and you're talking about your ass? No, it's Brian's ass. Oh, Brian's ass. Yeah, I was talking about Brian's ass. Wait a second. Did that whole conversation go over? No. Only my part. Okay. That's all I got. A tweet that says, I was going to say, did you use the books to wipe your ass? But then I didn't play that again because he nailed that. Wow. Avenue to the Fort Pitt Bridge, outbound Forbes Avenue to Edgewood. I was going to say, what did you have uh, all those books to wipe your ass with? Brendan Joe's Tom. I Honestly, I think that's demerit worthy to the point where we add more wasabi on Friday. Honestly, I really do, man. I like wasabi, so yeah. Dude, don't don't go with the I like wasabi. You've never had what? it. I love it. You, you said it yesterday on the show. You've never had it and you don't like it. Don't play the little game here like, oh, I love it, so it's not a punishment because you're about to get your face all messed up with wasabi. And now you go back on the air saying stuff like that. Dude, you can't talk over commercials. Tom. That's extra wasabi, I think. Is going to get punished on Friday. At 5.40, because he was late for our show meeting twice yesterday. He said he was going to be there at 2. That's the time we have to be there. If I'm not there on time, I have to run my boards for the day. If anybody else is late, then we determine a punishment for them that fits the crime. Because Tom was supposed to be there at 2, and then said he was going to be there at 2.30, and wasn't there then either, we're making him eat a spoonful of wasabi on Friday, again at 5.40, and now we're going to add more wasabi to it. Uh, That is just... It's got to happen. It's awful. Good. Yeah, I mean, come on, dude. You can't let that happen, honestly. Like, we have fun here and stuff, but you can't be talking during the break like that. It is unconscionable that the private conversations that we have during the breaks could be perhaps on the air. Uh, What am I supposed to say? Nothing, I suppose. I have a foul mouth. I could get fired because of your happy trigger fingers, Tom. Those damn sausage fingers. You're the guardian of the airwaves, and you just let the gate down, dude. I mean, if I swear, more than likely they're going to fire you. That'll be a you thing, because you're, I mean, you're small potatoes. I'm a major media market star. But uh, the next time that happens, they're going to put it on me. And I can't have this happening, Tom. So we will punish you in accordance with your crimes on Friday at 540. I say like about 25% more wasabi on the on the spoon, maybe? Oh, why yeah. Not, why not 35 See, don't even play it, dude. You're not. It's not working. It's not funny. We're going tablespoon, not teaspoon. So suck on that. About to go like a measuring cup, like one full cup. He would die. I'm all right with that now. Make for Talk good radio breaks. Yeah, I mean that's good for ratings. Matt Geica is going to join us coming up in 15 minutes here on the show. He wrote a piece yesterday about Penguins restricted free agents. He's also trying to go on that victory lap. Oh, the Pirates are great. The Pirates are great. We're going to have at it. Going to fight him. Matt Geica, 520. But about the Penguins' restricted free agents, here's the list of dudes who 
are going to be facing restricted free agency. Riley Shea and Jamie Alexiak, Brian Russ, Tom Kuhnhockel, and Dominic Simone. What's going to happen here is the Penguins have an opportunity to make an offer, and then these restricted free agents could go out on the market and say, okay, you have to match this. And if you do, there's a penalty to pay, and then also they'd have to match it. I don't think that's going to be the case with any of these Penguins restricted free agents. I think they're all going to wind up back in Pittsburgh, save for a few. Carter Rowney's also an RFA. See you, pal. God bless him, but that ain't going to happen, right? I also don't need Kuhnhockel because, frankly, you can find penalty killers anywhere, and that's all he's really good for. As for Simone, ugh, he only makes sense playing with Crosby. And as far as I'm concerned, he ain't playing with Crosby next year because I've got Gensel and Sprong penciled in on his wings. If Broussard moves to wing, which is something that Tim Benz has talked about, then you need Shane. If Broussard stays as the third-line center, then Shane's still a valuable PKer and is a guy who can help drive possession on that fourth line. Rust is my number one priority, though, because he can play lines one through four. He gives you lineup flexibility, and he's been largely a great driver of possession. He's also been a great playoff performer, this year notwithstanding. But two out of three for a guy of his caliber, that ain't bad. He's not afraid to go to the net. He's not afraid to play 200 feet. He is different than what they have otherwise on this squad. Same thing with Alexiak. He adds something that they don't have. Size. You need guys who have a different body build. Cole was that guy to an extent. Alexiak can fit that mold. He's not big. He is big, but he's not overly physical. He can skate. He fits the system. If the Penguins add someone else and he's the sixth defenseman, I think you're in really good shape. So my order would be Rust, Shahan, Alexiak, and then the rest of it, who cares? I mean, if Dominic Simone doesn't come back, you think Penguins fans are going to cry? Yeah, I don't think so. You think if Carter Rowney comes back, Penguins fans are going to be upset? No. Everyone in the league has guys like that. And really, bad teams have multiple guys like that. Rowney's fine. He did play okay in the playoffs two years ago, particularly in that Game 7 against the Capitals. thought he looked all right. But he is what he is, and that's an AHLer. He's a guy. He's a 4A player if it's Major League Baseball. Somebody who plays well at the AAA level but can't quite cut it in the majors. You don't need him. Dominic Simone, same kind of way. I don't think you are hurting if Dominic Simone's gone. Now, if he's around, you've got some depth there. But you've got to prioritize. This is going to be a weird offseason for the Penguins, and Tim Benz touched on it now. We're number one of the program. Jim Rutherford's talked about making changes. Changes, changes. Losing Carter Rowney and Dominic Simone, that doesn't count as a change to me. Even if Jamie Alexiak doesn't come back, that's not a huge change to me. You're talking about overhauling the bottom portion of your roster. That's just hockey. That's just salary cap sports. That's just what happens. But if you trade a Chris Letang, Hello, roster upheaval. If you trade a Phil Kessel, whoa, daddy, roster upheaval. I went into it a little bit yesterday, but I would not trade Phil Kessel, and here's why. Phil Kessel's had a tremendous regular season. He had an equally awful postseason. Uh, Mike Sullivan's obviously pissed at him for not ending his Ironman streak at the end of the year when he got hurt. Phil had the best season of his career. He racked up 34 goals, 92 points. He was 7th in the league in scoring. I mentioned this before. Anze Kopitar, who is a finalist for the Hart Trophy, the league's MVP, that guy had 92 points last year. So he was invaluable to this team, a team that 
really struggled to make the playoffs more than I think people realized. They needed every one of Malkin, Phil, and Crosby's points to get them into the dance. Without Phil, they wouldn't have won the Cup the last two seasons. But a lot of people have compared Sprong to Kessel. Sprong's a goal scorer. Sprong's a right wing. Sprong's a guy who's not going to play a lot of defense. So, because you've got that guy, you can get rid of Phil Kessel. No. I think that's awful. There are similarities. But here's where the similarities end. Sprong had 65 points and 32 goals in 65 games in the AHL. And Phil Kessel had 92 points in 82 games in the NHL. Kessel scored more goals in the league than we saw Sprong score in A-League. Kessel had one of the best point-producing seasons in the NHL. And I understand if you want to say sell high, I don't. I want Sprong and Kessel on my roster. I want goals. Because unless there is major roster upheaval, the Penguins' defense is going to have a lot of the same players that it did last year. And because of that, I think you can expect that they'll be fairly flawed on the back end. Doesn't mean that they're going to be flawed cataclysmically. I knew I shouldn't have attempted that word. They can go ahead and pull that top. As they were this year. But that could still be the weaker part of the team relatively. Sprong is going to score, but he ain't going to score like that. And I think you want as many cheap, cost-controlled options as you can have to fill out the roster. Sprong being one would help. If Sprong scores 20 goals next year in the NHL, or 25 goals and he's playing alongside Sidney Crosby, that means somebody else doesn't need to play alongside Crosby. That means Hornquist, who might be there, gets to play down in the lineup. That means Sherry, who might be there, gets to play down in the lineup. That means Broussard, who they're thinking about moving to wing, could play that center role. It allows for Rust maybe to play that fourth line with Aston Reese and Riley Shan. Now that's a good lineup. The Penguins could try to part with Haglin. They could try to part with Sherry. But if you add Sprong to the rotation without getting rid of Phil, you've got a lot of depth at that point. That's what I'd do. Keep him. Keep Phil. Work something out with Rust. Work something out with Shane. And the rest is kind of gravy. Alexiak, too. But the price tag on all those players goes up, and they become less and less cost-controlled the more you have to pay him in restricted free agency. Matt Geichel will join us in eight minutes to talk about all that. I tweeted this out at underscore Adam Crowley. There is video, and this is wild stuff here, of a woman in a Tim Hortons losing her bleep. And I mean that literally. She loses her poop. It is a bowel movement moment. It's all over the interwebs right now, like that Laurel Yanni thing. But this is actually entertaining. This is definitely uh, poop, too. Yeah, this is worth the click. It's a woman in a Tim Hortons flipping out, and she pulls a bunch of paper towels, napkins out of the dispenser. She's getting into it with the clerk, and she takes off her sweater, which is around her waist, bends alongside a wall, poops down the wall, picks up the feces a la a monkey, and slings it at the dude, wipes her butt a little bit, and throws the napkins back at the guy again. Goes back, actually, at one point to grab more napkins, because clearly the first napkin didn't do enough. So she took that, and she you know, finished it, and then uh, threw it again. That's uh, 
Ah, man. I, like, I live for the moments when I can be in a restaurant when that happens. Oh, my God. Just to see that live. That's exactly what I was thinking, too, man. <laughs> that is something that you would never forget. I do wonder what it takes to get a person to that level of mad where they want to slang their own feces. I've never been that mad in my entire life. Tom? Yeah. Honestly, here... I don't think I could even go in front of all those people. Like, if I was that mad at somebody, and I was like, oh, I'm going to crap on the floor of your restaurant. I'd be like, oh. She nails I it. I got a little bit of stage fright right now. Oh, she- the, the the speed with what she does, her, oh. with which she does her business is impressive. It's instantly. Yeah. If Br- Brian said this earlier. That's premeditated. Especially I- the fact that she went back and grabbed more of the napkins. Ironically, she had another plan, and this one just wound up being her number two plan. Oh, no. Oh, no. Here's my thought on the thing. I'm wondering, because I can't hear audio, but I'm wondering if if she was like trying to use the restroom and they were like, no, you can't use it unless you buy some, some good old Tim Hortons here. Perhaps she had too much Tim Hortons coffee, had to go, and they wouldn't let her go. Well, if she bought it, they should have let her in. I mean, that's their fault. <laughs> you know, if she you know what? I'm not going to blame the bloop pooper. I'm not going to blame her. I have friends who live in Austin, Texas, and they did something along these lines that I would never do. They live in an apartment complex, and their backyard is somebody else's backyard as well. And they were having a cookout, and there's dog feces everywhere because the woman who lives next to them would not clean up the dog feces. So they thought, okay, here's what we're going to do. And to tell her to clean it up. If she doesn't clean it up, we're going to get her back. So what they did was they mixed their own in amongst the dog stuff. Oh, no. That's not as bad as pooping in a restaurant right there on the floor, though, I don't think. And then whipping it across the room. I, I might have been guilty in the past, oh, no. allegedly. Of there's there might be certain neighbors who who don't clean up after their dogs, and their dogs enjoy doing it right by my front door, like on the grass to the side of my front door. I might have picked it up for them and given it back to them. Oh, that's their, not on bad. Their front door. That's not bad. Yeah, I respect that game. Yeah, uh, it's when you get human feces involved that I think yeah, it's a little much. A little much. I don't know. I think all feces is pretty much feces. Is I, don't draw, I don't draw a line between poop is poop. Dude. No, there's a definite line is between there? dog yeah, feces and doubt. human feces. Yeah. Yep. I would throw my dog's feces at someone if I got mad at them. If there was a reason for me to have to do it, I would never under any circumstances pull my pants down, pick up my own brand, and then whip that across the lawn at them. Never would happen. Well, I mean, you'd need a like one of those bags. Right? One of those dog bags? I still wouldn't do that, I don't think. I mean, would you pick up Dog poop barehanded? <laughs> That's almost like you're getting yourself there, then. I would pick up dog poo barehanded if I was mad enough. I would never pick up human feces under any circumstances wow. ever. See, I would. I agree. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Some of the hot topics you get here on the Crowley Show. Coming up next, we discuss poop with Matt Geica and the Pirates and the Penguins. RFAs and whether the Pirates are for real and such. It's Crowley Show. Doesn't mean that they're going to be flawed cataclysmically. I knew I shouldn't have attempted that word. Blake tweets at underscore Adam Crowley. Back in high school, my friends and I had a teacher we hated so much that we once took a bleep on the window seal outside. We scaled a pole to the roof and then ran to her classroom. The look on her face the next day was priceless. Hashtag poop. Blake, where did that come from, man? Like, we're not. We're talking about the pirates. That's just a lot of useless information. And frankly, you should be in jail. 
Matt Geica joins us now on the show. He, of course, of PiratesProspects.com and PittsburghHockeyNow.com. We'll talk to him about both teams. But before we get to that, Geica, the number one thing that we need to tackle on today's program is this. Is this Laurel or Yanni? Laurel. What are you hearing here? Laurel or Yanni? It's obviously Laurel. I don't know how. Okay, thank God. Good. All right. I was worried. I was worried that you'd be one of the Yannis, and uh, that would bother me greatly. Uh, Matt, as for the Pirates, tell me why I should believe that this is a team that can contend all season long. Uh, because, well, number one, the the lineup has shown itself to be pretty deep, one through eight, and uh, that seems to be the. The, the buzzy topic over at PNC Park these days is that uh, the players are raving about it. They feel like uh, there are enough veteran hitters that you can count on a certain level of production. Now you could say Polanco could be better. I'd agree with that. Josh Bell has a lot to prove in the major leagues at this point, too. And that's also true. But, well, as long as Cervelli is healthy, I, I think he is, then um, I believe in this transformation. I, I believe that what he's doing so far is legit. Corey Dickerson's always hit the ball well. Sterling Marte's had two or three straight seasons when he's not suspended, uh, which you can rely on a certain level. So I think the lineup will be the, the consistent thing that will at least carry them through into the second half in a spot to challenge for a wild card. Well, why should we expect the pitching to be better than it is, or why should we expect them to stay where they are? Because I do think some guys are pitching over their heads, including Trevor Williams, who I think is a good starting pitcher, but he's not a 270 RA guy. No, he's not. He should probably drop back at some point, unless he's having an all-time uh, season in terms of execution and mixing pitches. And that's what he has to do, is keep hitters off balance, because his stuff isn't outstanding. I'm with you that there are plenty of uncertainties in that rotation especially and in the bullpen too if right. you look at it that way but uh, primarily the rotation Chad Cool might end up being better suited as a reliever Nick Kingham shown well in the first two starts that he's had but of course there's going to be some fallback there he's never been considered a, a top of the line pitching prospect Jamison Tyone still hasn't put it all together and uh, well he, he's had some health concerns obviously to look at too that, that you could right part of that off but now it's his time and he hasn't quite had uh the start that i think all of us expected him to and ivan nova has been average at best in his mlb career so they need to count on some natural development some improvement from tyone cool perhaps and williams holding uh, at least in a respectable range but the rotation was always the question mark for me and i don't really think that has changed a quarter of the way through the season i said at the beginning of the year and i don't think that that's changed now that if the Pirates are a team that's going to hover around 80 or so wins, then they're probably going to be in the wild card hunt regardless, just based on default. Uh, is that something you agree with? I want to give them more credit than that. It's not just default. They're, they're a decent enough team across the board that um, they're not lucking into these wins. They played well against the National League Central, which looks to be one of the stronger divisions in baseball. At the same time, they've also cleaned up on the AL Central. What are they 10 and 2 now um, in interleague play? And most of that's against the, the AL Central division. In fact, all of it's against the AL Central. So there's there's a give and take there. It, it all averages out to about uh, maybe a, a 500 club, maybe a little bit more. Now that they're eight games over 500, if you assume they're a 500 club, then they're probably going to finish a couple of games over if you just play the season out and, and project it 
that way. So they've already banked some of these wins, and that's the encouraging part for the Pirates. I think they needed a strong start to build some confidence and also to get themselves some margin for error here in the, the final 120-some games. Oh, I think that's a great point. And Matt Geica joins us here on the Crowley Show. Uh, a couple things with that. Uh, they are 7-2, and two, I believe, against the National League Central. That is a small sample size, but those are good ball clubs that they're playing. And you got to take advantage of the Reds uh, for as bad as they've been this year. Uh, as for the Pirates cleaning up on bad teams, I think the stretch that they're in right now is huge for all the reasons you said, Matt. If they can pad their record and go 7-2 and two over this stretch in the nine games where they're playing the White Sox, the Padres, and the Reds, then they're going to be 30-19. and 19, and that's a ball club that's going to be in it for the rest of the season unless they go into a complete and utter tailspin, and I don't think that is going to happen. No, I don't see them falling off into some huge crevice here. Now, it's important to remember the 2016 Pirates team, they were actually better than this at this point. So we've seen, even in years they haven't made the playoffs, they have started decently well under Clint Hurdle. 2011 would go in that category, too, maybe not quite this high up. But uh, they've been in these spots before, and sometimes it's panned out, sometimes it hasn't. But if you're going to compare it to the 2016 team, that was also a good-hitting ball club, but didn't have the pitching. You're looking at John Neese and Juan Nicasio and Ryan Vogelsong in the rotation. So it's, this is a better rotation than that, a rotation with more promise. So for them to, to fall way off, that would be unexpected. You'd probably have to be looking at some injuries uh, or something flukish at that point. So they're in a really good spot, and uh, right now, the standings look promising. Uh, every team in this division is going to clean up on the red, so the pace is probably going to be somewhere close to this. Uh, they're going to be challenged to keep up that pace. And the uh, the directive right now before NL Central play really gets going, and it will in uh, in about a two or a three week span. There, they're going to play uh, every team in the Central in uh, in consecutive fashion. So for right now, against the Padres, it's the same deal as it was uh, last week. Um, uh, against the White Sox on the road, against the White Sox here at home. And, well, even the Giants, they were slumping. So the Pirates did what they had to do there and take two out of three. So it's just take care of business this time. Uh, Matt, I imagine that you weren't somebody saying coming into the season that they could contend for a division, right? No, my thought was 82 to 85 wins. Yeah. And then we'll see what they do with the deadline to maybe add to it. I thought wild card contention. That's, I, I thought I thought they would be in contention. I never thought that they'd be a wild card team. I'm wondering now if you think that they can be a team that can contend for this division. Well, yeah, with where they are right now, no team has run away with it, and the, the Cubs haven't turned into that juggernaut that maybe we thought they would two years ago. And give them full credit for 15 and 16 really coming on, but this is not an infallible Chicago Cubs team, and the Milwaukee Brewers still have some young guys at certain positions and maybe some players who have overperformed to this point. And I also wouldn't say I'm, I'm terribly scared of the Cardinals. They're probably in the same ballpark uh, talent-wise as the Pirates right now. So all these teams have promise at the top of this division, but all these teams also have some flaws. It might come down to which of these younger players develops faster or which team makes the, the better moves to add from the outside from now until the trade deadline. Matt Geica joining us. He, of course, from PirateProspects.com and PittsburghHockeyNow.com. Let's flip to the hockey side of things, Matt. Uh, in terms of the restricted free agents, how would you kind of tier them in terms of their importance, and what do you see happening with those guys? I think Brian Rust is number one as a restricted free agent, someone they'd want to bring back, and it shouldn't cost them that much. It shouldn't cost them as much as it 
cost them to bring back Connor Sherry, who ended up uh, getting $3 million a year for three years last summer, just because the, the pure offensive numbers aren't there. So Ryan Russ agent's going to have a harder time negotiating for something like that. But Russ strikes me as integral to how they like to play with his speed, with his directness, and his ability, it seems to uh, make other players better around him. I liked him with Derek Broussard, and if uh, they're able to bring back Sherry and Broussard next year, and it looks like they are, in addition to Russ, I'd give those three a run as the, the Penguins' third line coming up in the fall. So I'd put Russ first, and I liked what uh, Riley Shane brought to the table in a defensive role, penalty killing, starting in his own zone, key face-offs. I think he did all that you could ask for and more, so I put those two at the top, and then Maybe uh, Jamie Alexiak, more of a luxury um, uh, at this point, but he also brings something that the Penguins didn't quite have before he arrived. And, and then you have Tom Kuhnhockel and Dominic Simone. I'd probably let Kuhnhockel go if I, if I had uh, my druthers, if I'm Jim Rutherford, and then I'd give Dominic Simone one more season just to show me if, if he can build off of some promising moments. The only thing I dislike about Simone is that I think if he's there, you kind of feel the pressure if you're Mike Sullivan to play him with Crosby. And I would love to see Daniel Sprong up top next year with Sidney Crosby. And remember, we did see Simone and Sprong with Crosby we did, in yeah. January. Sid and the other kids. So, uh, it's not exactly an either-or situation there, but your point's a good one because if you look at just the, the goals and assists, if you look at the, the, the shot metrics, the puck possession numbers, it's night and day. Simone with Crosby was really good. He actually, uh, I think, helped lift Crosby's game in some ways. But Simone without Sid was not uh, very effective. So um, you can't count on playing with one of the best players in the world night in and night out. So Simone's going to have to refine his game and figure out a way to play with guys without as much skill. But there were flashes in there, enough flashes for me to uh, at least say that they should give him one more year here and just but what they can do with the restricted free agent is just roll over the contract one more season and give a slight raise. So that would be the way I'd try to play it out with Simone. Whereas with, with Brian Rust and, and Riley Shan, I think about multi-year deals. Geica, you're turning me into a Pirates believer, man. <laughs> I'm lying, actually. You're not! I will never believe! <laughs> not until they actually clinch the playoff spot. Hey, this season was a show-me season for the Pirates, and to their credit, they have shown us I think quite a bit over the, the first 40 games and um, it could have gone the other way it could have gone really sour at the start with everything that happened in the offseason and uh, this team has stood up and, and said yeah we're, we're legit at least to this point they have uh, Matt last thing here for you uh, we're going to play the sound for you one more time I need you to tell me if it's Yanni or if it's Laurel okay okay All right, what do you got for me, Lonnie or Yanni or Laurel? You don't even know what it's supposed to be. Yeah, it's Yanni, man. This is clearly Yanni. Turn it up. Yanni is is a true talent and uh, also a part of Penguins lore in 2009 when his concert threw that schedule off in the second round against Washington. So Yanni holds a place in all of our hearts, as he should. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Adam. Good to chat with you. You too, buddy. There he goes, Matt Geica, PittsburghHockeyNow.com and PiratesProspects.com. Both good sites. Check them out. Coming up next, a couple of things. A sad note, a very sad note about a fine Pittsburgh establishment that is closing 
And also, we've got the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by To Be Determined. It's Crowley Show. Dad, what are you doing? Cramming for college. I'm the one going to college. Yeah, but we need to figure out how we're going to pay for it all. Discover Student Loans. Discover does student loans? Yeah. They're one of the top student loan lenders in the country. It takes 15 minutes or less to apply, and there are no fees for the life of the loan. Best of all, I can earn cash rewards if I get good grades. Really? Yeah. We still have time to apply and get a great rate. So I can just chill. College kids still say that, right? No one says that, Dad. Really? Yeah. Visit discoverstudentloans.com to apply today. Limitations apply. I was just being nice to Geico. But I'll tell you this. Pirates are going to burn up in flames, Tom. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you deep. Seriously, though, how... Okay, if the Pirates won the World Series, would you throw your poop? I'd eat my poop if the Pirates won the World Series. Like the Eagle fan? Yep. Like the... Indians fan. Yep. It is with great sadness that I report that Peter's Pub in Oakland is closing. Bad news. Bad news, Bears. I might have been conceived in Peter's Pub. My mom worked there. My dad went there all the time. Both of them attended Pitt. I went to West Virginia, but whenever I would be in Oakland, I'd always go to Peter's Pub. And now it's done. They released a statement Friday, May 25th, 2018. It is the final farewell to Peter's Pub. Although on March 14th, they said we're now hiring cocktail waitresses, nights and weekends, apply in person. Things went south in a hurry for Peter's Pub. What happened? It's got to be really hard to be a bar in a college town. When all the students are gone, uh, especially when you're not in a prime location. Peters is basically across the street from the Peterson Event Center. So, like during the school year, during the basketball season, that's a cool place to go. Cheap drinks. I don't know how cool Peters really is, though. It's, it's a nostalgia thing, maybe, for me more than anything. Like this weekend, I'm going back to Morgantown, and there's a bar called the Sports Page, and that's where we were going to drink our faces off. And I don't know if there's anything special about it. It's just a regular sports bar, but it means something to me, man. And Peter's means something to our family, and it means something to me, too. My wife's out of town this weekend. Anybody who wants to join me at Peter's Pub, feel free. You're going to grab a beer before it goes down. Damn right. right. And I'm not going to do it on Friday, May 25th, because it's going to be nuts. That's going to be crazy. Although it is half-price drinks. But they're charging a buck and a half for beer anyhow. It going to be $75 for a beer. I actually went to Peter's Pub with a bunch of West Virginia fans prior to the Pitt-West Virginia basketball game this year. And we took that bitch over. Yeah. And it reminded me of all the good times I've had there. It's probably the night they were like, you know what, maybe we should retire. That's true. If the only people who are hanging out here are West Virginia fans, (laughs) maybe it's over. It's time for the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by To Be Determined. Which Steelers draft pick do you think is going to have the biggest impact in 2018? Terrell Edmonds fits a need, without a doubt. Steelers are going to play more dime defense this year than in years past. He's going to flex into that hybrid safety inside linebacker role, or he'll play safety and Morgan Burnett is going to flex into that role. Point being, I do think Edmonds is going to be on the field this year, so he's a possible answer to the question. 
Of course he is. He's a first-round pick. Unless Ben Roethlisberger goes down for the season, knock on wood, it ain't going to be time for Mason Rudolph to step in. If Ben were to go down for the season, I would suggest Rudolph be the guy to see if you could catch a Dak Prescott scenario. But short of that happening, he won't be the guy. It ain't going to be Chucky Orakafor either. The offensive tackle from Western Michigan, he's at least a year away and is viewed as a project. Steelers are solid on the line and have a capable backup, including Gerald Hawkins, who was drafted just a few years ago. I think Marcus Allen has a decent shot of making the team if he proves himself to be the capable special teams player we think he can be, but he won't be the rookie that plays the most. Jalen Samuels and Joshua Frazier should both make an impact, though. I liked Samuels as a late-round steal, and I think that he'll fit in with James Conner to spell Le'Veon. Not much, as we all well know, but if there is a rotation, he'll find himself in it. As for Frazier, he played under Dunbar, the Steelers' new defensive line coach at Alabama. So, a little insider trading going on. He sat behind a lot of great draft picks in his career. I think he supplants Daniel McCullers eventually as the team's second nose guard. None of those players, save for Edmonds, though, is the answer to the question. The draft pick that I think is going to have the biggest impact is James Washington from Oklahoma State. The guy looks like a running back who shouldn't be able to get open at this level, but his tape tells a completely different story. Randy Feetner, Steelers offensive coordinator, told me on draft day that he's not the fastest player on the field. By the end of the game, he is because he never slows down. He's got great endurance. For a lot of positions in this league, I'd scoff at that. I'd say, yeah, well, is he conditioned enough to play in the NFL? He is. Because for wide receivers, I think it can be different. Oklahoma State routinely snapped the ball 90 times a game over the course of his career. A lot of the time, he was in 90-degree heat in that bandbox stadium with a million people in it in Stillwater. If you don't slow down dealing with that, you'll be fine in the league. Ben's biggest deep threat will be Antonio Brown, but none of the other receivers really fit that description. Juju's a really good possession receiver. Eli Rogers, if he comes back, is a slot guy. That leaves James Washington to be the deep threat. He averaged 20 yards a catch in each of his last three years in college. The Duke can get behind the defense. He's strong, he's smart, and athletic. Not to mention, the Steelers have had great success and a great track record of developing receivers into NFL players. A.B. was a sixth-round pick. Emmanuel Sanders was a third-rounder. Mike Wallace was a third-rounder. Martavis Bryant was a fourth-round pick. Juju Smith-Schuster was a second-round pick, and he put up great numbers. Think about the last two rookie wideouts for the Steelers. Juju had 917 receiving yards, and Bryant had eight touchdowns. There was no place for Sammy Coates when he was drafted, but before he got hurt, he had... 485 receiving yards in just five games. There's a precedent for receivers to play, and in this offense, to play well. I think that James Washington's going to make the biggest impact from this year's crop of rookies. What say you? 4129-222874. David Tepper, a Steelers minority owner, just bought the Carolina Panthers. Straight cash, homie. $2.2 million transferred in just cash. What are you saying, Tom? You're saying no? Billion dollars. What did I say? Million dollars. Oh, hell no. It was billion. $2.2 billion transferred in just cash. That is a large detail, Tom. Uh, I appreciate that. I imagine he'll try to enact the Steelers' way of doing things. Jimmy Haslam hasn't been able to do so. 
But that's because it's hard. It's easy to say, I'll bring in a coach and keep him around for a decade and create continuity. You first need to hire the right guy. Now, in Carolina, they probably got him in Ron Rivera, but you need to make sure you hang on to said guy. And if he goes 6-10 and 10, or 9-7 and seven, or 7-9, and nine, you don't kick him out the door just because he didn't have a great year. Let's see how he does, though. Because the itch for owners to come in and put their fingerprints on stuff has to be overwhelming. The Panthers aren't that removed from being 15-1 and and going to the Super Bowl. Last year, they were a good football team. We will see Tepper's Panthers at Heinz Field on Thursday, November 8th. And let me make this very clear. It won't feel all that different than when the last guy was there, Jerry Richardson. Former coach John Fox will join ESPN as a football analyst. We do this thing on TV where we think that if you were a bad coach, you could be a good TV analyst. John Fox, not a great coach. He always sounds like he smoked a pack of cowboy killers over the weekend of whiskey and campfires. He will sound better than Bill Polian, though, but that's because presumably he's not senile. That is the unsponsored great football segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by To Be Determined. Peter's Pub's closing. Tomorrow, though, we'll have beer on the show. Spoonwood Brewery going to be here, right? Correct. Nailed it. Six o'clock on. Thirsty Thursdays on the Crowley Six Show. Six to seven, the whole last hour. Drinking beer? In studio. Drinking beer, telling us about the craft. Having fun. They got a lot to live up to with Hitchhiker and our guy Andy, though. Andy said that they're all friends, though, the Brewers. You know what? I like that. I, like I do to too. That they're all getting along. They like craft beer, and there's such a marketplace for craft beer these days that while they are competing with one another, there are enough people who are going to go to both. Will Graves just quote tweeted this because I said a lot of I told you so's after 41 games coming from people who kneel down to the Pirates front office. I want the Bucks to win, but if I were you, I'd probably wait to take that victory lap. Graves tweeted six years ago, a more talented team was 66 and 50 in mid-August and found a way to finish under 500. That doesn't mean it's going to happen this time, but it doesn't mean it's time to start strutting. Enjoy it and see where it goes. I think that's nailing it. As for you, Tom, you are a huge Pirates fan. Huge. And I think at times an apologist. You're very happy with the way that they're playing right now, but how much faith do you have? And honestly, how much faith do you have in their ability to be a team that finishes above 500? Oh, I'm very confident that they're going to finish above 500. As far as if that's going to mean a wild card spot or not, I'm I'm still not so sure. If I put it at 84 wins, I'll take that. But I don't think that that's going to take a get a wild card. Would you take the over or the under there? At 84 mm-hmm. right now, I take the over. You think they're going to win more than 84 games? Yes. Damn, I can't buy in just yet. I thought they were going to be a team that hovered around 500 all season long and. Just because they get off to a hot start doesn't mean that I don't think that it's going to all even out in the end. Baseball has a way of doing that. That's why they talk about small sample sizes. Baseball has a way of reverting back to the mean. And while these Pirates are hitting the snot out of the ball, do you really believe that their bullpen, which has been second best in the majors since the end of April, can continue to be that good? I don't. Yeah, I think the mirage was clearly the beginning of the season with the bullpen. Oh, get the hell out of here, Tom. Was then, and now get the hell out of here, Tom. Now that the sample size has gotten larger, we're seeing what the real Pirates bullpen is going to be. Yeah, no, I don't think Shut that's down, the case at all. And you know, you better get to us, or the Pirates, before the sixth inning. 
Because it's over if you get to that bullpen. The, the shark tank is back. Get the hell out of here with the shark tank. How are you, Mark Cuban? Uh, enough of that. The Pirates are a good baseball team today. And you probably should enjoy what you're seeing right now. I always used to say when Jamie Dixon was the head coach at Pitt, my uh, ex-girlfriend's mother was a huge Pitt fan, but the guy she was dating would always say, ah, I just wish that they'd not be quite this good so they could get rid of Jamie Dixon. But don't you just want your team to be good? And now with the Pirates, it's I don't have belief in the ownership because I don't think they're doing the right thing, but apparently they've done enough to this point to get them to the point where they're eight games over five hundred. That being said, Jamie never won the big one. And that being said, I need to see what the Pirates are going to do around the deadline. If the Pirates get to the deadline and are contenders and make a push by adding pieces, then... I'll buy in. But if they don't, then it's the way it's been. When they won 98 games and then came back with the worst roster the next year. Last year, they were right in it up to the deadline, and they didn't do enough. They didn't go out and get a replacement for Polanco, who was banged up. They didn't scour the waiver wire after that and do something along those lines. They did not ever add the Starling Marte replacement. You knew you weren't going to have him for 80 games, and you said, okay, whatever, we're going to sit on our hands anyhow. It just... It's going to take a little bit more time than 42 games for me to believe, okay, this team can really make the playoffs. I'll get into that in more detail coming up next, and we'll get into the gambling side of things with Doug Kazarian from ESPN. That guy's badass. He hosts a gambling podcast. Uh, So we'll dance around the Pirates in legalized sports betting when we return. It's the Crowley Show. I don't know how else to say this, so I'll just say it. What is it, Linda? I think we should see other people. Are you breaking up with me on a roller coaster? Well, we do have a lot of fun. Maybe we should stay together. An emotional roller coaster? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to Geico. I just need a little me time. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. So Brian's heard Laurel just as many times as he's heard Yanni, and it's now he's weird. losing it. I still have only heard Laurel. Me too. I've never I'm, heard the Yanni. Earlier on, I heard Yanni. And then I, I even went back to the room in there. I just got back from doing one of the logs, and I heard Laurel. It's really freaking me out now. Like, I don't know what the hell's going on, and I'm pissed off about it. Like, ah, damn this thing. Shouldn't be this worked up about it. What are we doing next segment? 